Mark chapter number 9, and we're going to start reading down in verse number 30. And he parted thence and passed from Galilee, and he would not that any man should know it. For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he's killed, he shall rise the third day. But they understood not that saying, and were afraid to ask him. And he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, What was it that ye disputed among yourselves by the way? But they held their peace, for by the way they had disputed amongst themselves. Who should be the greatest? And he sat down and called the twelve, and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all, and servant of all. And he took a child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. And John answered him, saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he follows not. And we forbade him, because he followed not us. But Jesus said, Forbid him not. For there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is in our part. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink to drink in my name, because he belonged to Christ, verily Sunday he shall not lose his reward. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for another opportunity. Thank you for another Sunday. And Lord, I pray as we come this morning that you will settle our hearts. I don't know what has occurred in everyone's life this week, problems, troubles, whatever it is, Lord, but help us to focus upon you for these moments, this time. I believe there's something great for us here this morning from your word. And Lord, help us to focus upon you. I pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. So the beginning of the chapter, portion of Scripture we read, we see Jesus on the way with his disciples to Capernaum. And as he traveled, Jesus uses this time to instruct them more about himself and his ministry. In verses 30 and 31, Jesus again tells his disciples that uh, he will be killed. He will die. And that he will raise again the third day. They hear him say this, but they don't comprehend what he's saying. You, you ever had that conversation with somebody? And as soon as you say it, it's out the other ear. You know, you, you almost could see it flying out the other side of the head. You know, there's not comprehending this at all. It's just, it's gone. And they don't comprehend it and they didn't want to ask. They were afraid to ask him. I don't understand why they would be afraid to ask the Lord, but they were. They weren't able to compute the reality that Jesus, the Messiah, must give his life for the people. They could not comprehend the truth that Jesus came to this world not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. They did not understand the main objective of the Lord's ministry here on earth, and that was for Him to come to the cross, to die, and to rise again and provide salvation for all. They didn't understand that. They wouldn't comprehend all that. It wouldn't stick until after it was all done. Of course, our world has a problem with the image of a suffering Savior too, you know. The idea that God would have to die for sin so that sinners should be saved... That flies the face of just about every religion on the world. I mean, just think about it. According to religion, man is able to work his way to God or to heaven. That's what religion tells us. 
follow these sets of standards, do these works, be good, have good morals, and you'll see God or you'll see heaven. It totally rejects any idea that God has anything to do with it. It's all based upon us. That's religion. But God says that man can't approach Him by works. For by grace are you saved through faith. And not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. None of works lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. The only way a person can come to God is through faith. Through a relationship, not a religion. A relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto me but uh, unto the Father but by me. John 14, 6. The world hears the message of the cross and they think it's foolish. They think it's a zany story. You know, uh, it says that in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it's the power of God. To say that Jesus must die so that sinners can be saved, or could be saved, is more than most people can handle. They don't like that story. And Jesus, uh, is, by His disciples, is seen as establishing His kingdom. That's what the disciples' view is. Their view is wrong at this point. They, they view Him as establishing the kingdom. They envision Him rising up in power. They picture Him defeating Israel's enemies. They, they were really looking to see Jesus lead a revolt and boot the Romans out of their homeland. They were really thinking that He would restore the glory that they heard about of Israel and old and the things they had read, uh, read of and uh, of the past kingdoms of David and Solomon, how Israel was so great. So dying on the cross does not fit their narrative, does it? How can you lead us if you're dead? They can't see Him dying for sin. They're thinking of kingdom, not of salvation. When they, they, they can't grasp it. Exactly what Jesus has come to this world to do. He came to die and to rise again so that all might receive Him, that all might have everlasting life. And this is the truth that Jesus is trying to teach the disciples. He's laying it out there. He's laying it out there. He wants them to know. Salvation comes through a personal faith relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care what megachurch tells you different. The Word of God stands above all churches. Above all men's opinions. The Word of God says you need to trust Him. I am the way, the truth, and life. And in Acts chapter 16, verse 31, it says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Believe on Him. Don't believe in the church. Don't believe in a religious system. Believe on Me. Believe on Me. You you repent. You you turn away from whatever it was you're believing. Maybe maybe it was a religious system you were believing that'll take care of you. You turn from that and you believe in Jesus. That's who it is. And as these verses unfold, and we're moving through the teaching of the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection, the you know the subject of who's the greatest comes up. But that's the title of my message this morning. Who's the greatest? This comes up. And Jesus used these events to teach that true greatness comes from humble service. True greatness. Verses 33 and 34, we see a dispute. And he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, What is it that ye disputed among yourselves by the way? But they held their peace, for the by the way they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. So after they, they're walking, right? So Jesus is teaching about... You know, his death, 
His resurrection, his burial, you know, he's teaching them all those important things. They get to Capernaum. As the journey ends, they get to the house. Jesus asks them a question. He wants to know what they were disputing about as they were coming, as they were traveling. Uh, verse 34, but they held their peace. So we have this little thing in our house that we say once in a while when we don't want to answer. We call it radio silence. You know, we text somebody, hey, what's, where, where is the thing that I told you to put out? And there's no answer. <laughs> and then I see a little radio pops up. <laughs> radio silence. There's nothing said because it wasn't taken care of. And these men are embarrassed by what was going on. They are embarrassed by their discussion because they've been arguing amongst themselves about who was the greatest. They were arguing, who's number one? Who's number one? Can you remember those arguments as teenagers? I really hope we don't have that argument now as adults. But can you remember that as a kid in the playground? I'm number one. I can fly off that swing farther than anybody else can. And land on your face. Good job. You know, you know what I'm talking about. We, there is an innate, uh, just who we are. Our default position is to play, proclaim, I'm number one. I, I'm, I'm chief here. That, that's, that's our flesh. What had caused them to think along these lines? I would suggest to you, I think it has something to do with the three that were with Jesus on top of Mount Hermon. Peter, James, and John. They came down from Mount Hermon, verse number 2. And when they got down off that mountain, those three, they were told not to talk about what they had seen or what they had heard. So these men are coming down off this mountain and they are excited. Have you ever had something happen to you that you were very excited about but you couldn't tell anybody? Isn't that the hardest thing not to do? I'm going to be really honest when something really cool happens to me. I'm like, I want to tell everybody! You know, and you can't tell anyone. And so, I mean, they were so excited. This was so awesome. And what they had seen in this mountain, and they're not allowed to say a word. They might be saying like, that. I have never seen anything like that before. That was so amazing. That is the highest uh, pinnacle of spiritual life experience I have ever had. Because they had seen Elijah and Moses, right? Remember what happened up on the mount? And not only that, they had heard the voice of God. They had seen the glory of God. They came down off that mountain. Uh, their experience, they were elated. I kind of think, as you know, I'm reading the Scripture, thinking about this, I think, and they're smiling so much, their face hurts. I mean, they're so excited. I mean, they're just... Hey, you've been there. Something's happened in your life. You're so excited. Maybe you get the phone phone. Call, Mom, I'm having a baby. Woo! <laughs> And you guys are really dead this morning. I don't know what's wrong with you, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've had those experiences where you're elated. You're so excited. These men, are they just saw the glory of God. It was amazing. It was amazing. I mean, that was life changing. It was amazing. And they're so excited and, and they don't want to forget this. And, and you know what? But do you think they might have been feeling a little bit, <clears throat> us three saw the glory of God. You nine have not. No, that never happens, does it? Of course it does. Those disciples are no different than us. 
The same thing. They're human. And it demonstrates once again to us the disciples were human, just like me and you. Well, the three of the Lord's disciples, remember the story that were up on the mountain, that powerful mountaintop experience. The other disciples were in the valley. I mean, really in a valley. Besides physically in a valley, they were spiritually in a valley. They had a confrontation with the scribes. The uh, uh, the crowds were there and they were ridiculing them because they could not help that man's son with that demon who was casting him into the water, throwing him into the fire. They failed miserably in a spiritual battle. They had no time for the excitement that those three disciples came down off the mountainside. Wow, we saw something awesome. This is so great. But we can't tell you. So I want to lay it out so you kind of get the understanding why they're talking about this. This is not going to go well. As they walk... They begin to talk. And the nine asked the three, what happened up on that mountaintop? Hey, Peter, tell us. Peter, you don't stop talking. You tell us what's happening. And the three respond, can't tell you what happened up there. Can you imagine how the other nine disciples would have felt just a little bit inferior and left out? Just think, human, just think humanly in the feeling side of it. Hey, your feelings are important, but sometimes your feelings are wrong, right? All right, so the reality is they're important, but sometimes they're wrong. So they're not feeling very much like disciples at the moment. And the other three, I mean, after studying Peter for years now and reading about him, I kind of think he was acting just a little bit superior. I mean, I don't have Scripture to prove that, but just by knowing his personality from the Word of God. I mean, he's he's a leader, right? And he's going to tell people. Maybe Peter says, well, it's obvious that I'm the leader. After all, I was the first one to proclaim that Jesus is Messiah. Now, this is extra biblical, folks. I'm just making this up. But as I'm thinking about it, I could see people saying this because we know it from the Word of God. Maybe maybe Andrew says, well, wait a minute, brother. I'm the one who introduced you to Jesus. If it weren't for me, you'd still be on that fishing boat. Maybe John and James speak up and say, well, hold it right there. We're one of the first to follow Jesus. We would have been with Him the longest. And I'm not going to go through the rest of them. But you get the picture? They're human, just like me and you. They're feeling, some of them are feeling, feeling insecure. Others are feeling way too secure, way too confident. Each man thinks he's more qualified than the other. And each man thinks he's more worthy of honor than the other. And each man thinks he should be the leader of the group. There's no wonder that these men were embarrassed by their argument. When they were, when they were walking along the way and they were discussing, disputing, does that, when you have the word dispute, do you think of a nice, calm situation? No. I wouldn't be surprised some people got red faces and some people were a little upset and raised their voice a little bit. That, that was really important on that walk to Capernaum, but now, now they stood before Jesus and suddenly they see just how self-serving and centered that was. He was talking about the matters of eternity and all they could focus on is their own self-interest and promoting themselves. And think about in this chapter, the Lord had done. He had revealed His glory. Great, I'm not Herman. 
He had, he had proved his power over the demons by casting that demon out of that little boy. And he reminds them that he's going to die and rise again from the third day. And all that they can do is fight about who's going to be number one. You think they missed something? Oh yeah, they missed a whole lot. They missed a whole lot. No wonder they're embarrassed. Folks, sadly, there's still people in churches today who are looking for the high seat of prestige. I'm the leader. I'm it. They, they want it, they search for, a rec- they want to be recognized as the greatest and the best. In the epistle of third John, John condemns a man by the name of Diotrephes. He says, love to have preeminence among them. This is a man who wanted to be number one. He wanted to control the church. He wanted to run the church. He wanted to be the boss of the church. He wanted everyone in the church to bow to his will. And Diotrephes is the kind of person you should never strive to be. MIBC, hear me and hear me well. When I say there is no big I's and little U's around here. We are all in this together, amen? We are all in this together. We have to be all in this together or it will not be accomplished. We're all in this together. There are no masters here that need to be served except for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who needs to be served. There, there, we need to, we need to be seeing our service grow for the Lord, not diminish and say, place me in prominence. Place me in position. We are servants of the living God. Let me encourage you to live that way. As servants. As servants. When this life is over, and we stand before the Lord, and this life will end, won't it? It will. No one lives forever. Uh, I'm really hoping for the rapture. I'll be honest with you. Uh, I, I, really, I don't have any inclination of wanting to die, but I know where I'm going if that did take place. So we're no one lives forever. So eventually we'll stand before the Lord. And when we stand before the Lord, oh my, I hope the Lord won't look at us and and we realize that we have been so childish trying to be number one and we haven't served Him. I want, I much want to hear, well done thou good and faithful servant, enter down the joy of the Lord. That's what I want to hear. I don't want to get caught up with this, uh, me number one and you shouldn't, that shouldn't be your desire either. Because we aren't number one, Jesus is. And we should be serving Him. A demonstration, verse 35, and he sat down and called the twelve and said unto them, so we saw a dispute, now we see a demonstration. If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and sent him in the midst of them. And when he asked, uh, he had taken him in the arms, he said unto them, whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me. In order to correct the foolish thinking of his disciples, Jesus sat down and he, he teaches another truth again. He, he gets his pupils around him. His men need to hear this. They need to listen up. And when Jesus begins to teach, he, he, he teaches a great paradox. He tells them the way of greatness is serving others. Well, in their world, that's not how it worked. And you know what? In our world today, that's not how they teach it. But Jesus tells them, if you want to be great, you need to serve others. He tells them that 
the door to first place is located in the servants' quarters. Not the throne, but in the servants' quarters. The word servant here in verse 35 is the same word that's used in other places called deacon. Elsewhere in New Testament, it refers to those who wait in tables. It gives the literal meaning of the kick up dust. It's the image of a servant running around so much, he said those little puffs of dust behind his feet. He's so busy running from one duty to the next, just taking care of things. I'm busy serving the Lord. I'm serving. And, and the dust is being, there's nothing behind him. It's just us. He's just, he's kicking it up. He's serving faithfully or she's serving faithfully. And Jesus is teaching his men the truth that true greatness is achieved through humble service of others. Humbly serving others. That's the truth that's been lost in our day. Today. I'm not talking about Disciples Day. I'm talking about today. On April 29, 2018. Today. Some people think they deserve respect and preferential treatment because they occupy a certain position. That's nonsense. No, you don't. We don't deserve anything. If I got, if we got what we deserve, we wouldn't be here. Let's just put it in perspective of what we deserve. You want, you want to impact people for the Lord Savior? You want to impact people for Jesus Christ? You know how you're going to do it? Serve them. Serve them. You put them before yourself. You meet their needs. Forget about your own needs. You give them the first seat without wanting anything in return. When we humble ourselves, the Lord will exalt us. Amen? The Lord will do the exalting. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that humble himself shall be exalted. I'm so glad for our church family. I've, I've watched, I've been here uh, well, two, over two years as assistant pastor, and six, almost six months now as the pastor. Isn't time flying? Uh, but I've watched... As certain people, you know, we all like to sit in a certain place, right? You all know I'm usually in the second row up here. That's where I usually sit with my family. And there's rows that you like to sit in. I'm so glad I've never seen this happen in our church where you come into church and you see somebody in your row and you're like, hey, over there, that's my seat. If you did it, we'd be talking in the office after. But the reality is, it's just, hey, take it, I'll find another seat. I'm just glad you're in church today, Amen. And that's the attitude that we should have. It's like, hey, I want to serve. Now, when I say serve others and put others first, you still need to take care of yourself. I'm not saying you just abandon anything, everything. But the idea is that you have an attitude, a hard attitude, that says, I want to serve others. I will give others the best first. I will take the least. And Mother's Day is coming up. You're probably going to hear a message. You'll hear a message about mothers. But you know, moms always get the smallest piece of chicken. Let's just be honest. You know, moms get the small, I mean, mom's serving, right? Mom's the one who cooked over that stove all day or all afternoon to get your supper. And then when you sit down for supper, the big juicy piece of chicken is going on my plate. And mom's left with this little tiny piece of chicken. And, you know, you're all full and you need to go rolling over to the couch and mom's taking care of things. She served you. Shouldn't we serve Jesus Christ? We need to serve. We need to have that heart attitude that we are going to serve. You're going to impact for people for Jesus. You're going to have to serve. Jesus takes a child and places him before the disciples there in verse number 36. And he tells them that they will receive a child in his name. In fact, they're both receiving the son and the father who sent. And the idea of receive gives the idea of displaying hospitality. 
displaying hospitality. In those days, hospitality was everything. It was everything. When a person showed up at your house, you were expected to receive them and serve them and meet all their needs. That, 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 when, he, when Jesus was talking to the disciples, they understood exactly what he was saying. And we need to understand the, the wordage that he was using, what it means to take care. Jesus is telling us that when we serve the least among us, we are in fact serving him. And by serving him, we are serving the Father as well. Now, why did Jesus use a child? I think there's several reasons. First, children in that society were at the bottom of the social ladder. They, they were at the bottom. They were viewed as mere property and largely ignored by most adults. Second, Jesus used a child to teach his disciples about service because children really can't do anything for adults. You're like, well, Pastor, let me, let me stop you there. They annoy me sometimes. You know what I'm trying to say is they can't do anything for you. I'm talking about infants as little people. You know, a child can't enhance a person's position in society, can't add to success. A child can't make you more important in the eyes of the world. However, a child can teach you much about ministry. Think about it. Think about it. That little, little Jerome was up here this morning, right? Little Jerome entered into the world in the wolf's home and everything changed. Right, Brother Wolf? How's that sleeping going for you, buddy? You know, it changed everything. That little baby comes in. Now, does Jerome ever say to you, Dad, can I have some milk, please? Well, for one, he can't speak. If he did, they would be really scared. Uh, but you know what I'm saying. He doesn't do that. When Jerome wants something to eat or drink, it's loud telling them by crying or other actions, I'm hungry, feed me now. It's never a, oh, thank you, Dad, for that lovely milk you gave me this morning. <laughs> right? And when they're not happy, they let you know. And sometimes you wish they would not let you know. When parents have children, they learn about giving. Right? We learn about giving, giving your sleep, giving your time, giving your resources, giving spiritually. I mean, there's lots of things we're giving and we're ministering. You know, use the example of Jerome again. He doesn't get up in the morning. He had a nice outfit on this morning. Didn't he look sharp? He didn't pick that this morning. His mom did that. You know, she took all that. I mean, he, he's dependent on everything from mom and dad, Right. That, because what I'm telling you is not new information. You all know it. You, some of you have experienced it. A lot of you. How children, those little ones, come into life and our life is whoop. It's you give, you give, and you give. You know, so no longer a baby, but now things change. Now it's, you know, learn how to tie shoes and learn how to eat without your hands, you know, using those forks and implements that we have. You know, and then again, you're given a different way. And as the older, to give and give and give. And, and my, my folks tell me it stop, doesn't stop giving even when you get 40, Mark. That's what my parents tell me. You missed that joke. Okay. But the reality is we're giving and we're giving and we're giving to our kids. And we should, right? It's absolutely correct to do that. Absolutely correct. 
to use those children because they need to be served, but they cannot serve us in return, especially as little people. I mean, those little babies. But the only thing that little Jerome can do for Caleb right now is smile, and that actually makes Caleb's day. But I mean, so little that they can do. This, there's a lesson that we need to take to heart too often. And I've seen this in so many churches, and I'll be really honest with you, it really grates me. It's too often that we look for people who we can serve so we can get something in return. Hey, that's not the reality of serving. That's not true service. That's not true service. Too often we're looking for, so we can serve someone so we'll get something to return. The Lord had reached out to those who were the most neediest, who could never repay Him, and He was happy to do it. And so should we. Hey, are we not followers of Jesus Christ? Shouldn't we be an example of what Christ did for those around Him? We should be. So we don't look to serve others for what we can get. We serve others because just what Jesus would do. So get destruct this idea that I only serve those who can serve me. Destruct that. Bring it down. Burn it. It not, should not be part of your idealism as a Christian. He would have served those who could never, cannot, or never ever be able to serve Him in return. And He desires that we would do the same thing. To give our lives to those who may break our hearts. Do you think that everyone that Jesus served was able to return a blessing to Him? No. Some of the ones he served the most, they denied him. Do you think that broke his heart? Oh, I know it did. Hey, we serve because our Savior, our King, uh, the one that we love shows us that we need to serve. Often the church will reach out, reach out, but when we do, we often reach out to people who are like us, who look like us, who we think will be a blessing to our church. We want people with money, talent, and potential. We look for people who we think can be, help us become a success. Now, should we reach people who have money? Yes. People who are successful? Yes. We need to reach all those people. All those people need Jesus Christ. Amen? Every one of those people I just mentioned need to know Jesus. But Jesus, on the other hand, had the habit of reaching out to people who could do nothing for Him in return. Jairus' daughter the widow of Nain, the maniac of Kadera, the dying thief. You know, there's so many. So many that he reached out that could never repay him. So let's just serve the Lord, amen? Let's just serve those around us. I'm not, I'm not looking for people who look just like me to come to church. Although I will take, if there was a person who looked just like me, poor guy, but if there was a guy who just looked like me to come to church, I'd get him to come to church with me. You know, people who are lost, they don't really look like us. They're not living like us, right? If we're here this morning, we know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. We're living different. Amen? We should be. And so because we live different, we act different, we don't look the same. So I'm not looking for people who look the same as me. I'm looking for those who need Jesus. They're looking for hope. They're lost. You know, the night before Jesus died, His disciples were so busy arguing about who would be the greatest among them, that not one of them would humble himself and wash the feet of others, as was the custom of that day. But Jesus did. Jesus did. Jesus took the place of a servant, of a slave, that washed the feet of the men who would run away from Him that dawn. 
He washed the feet of Peter, who would deny him three times. He washed the feet of Judas, the one who would betray him. Jesus freely served those who would break his heart. Jesus sets an example for us, does he not? He was a servant of the neediest of all. And he was a servant of those who could never repay him. He was a servant of those who would fail him, deny him, and dishonor him. He was a servant to you and to me when he died on the cross. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. We need to reach out to those around us. doesn't matter their position in society. does not matter about their ability to help us or their power or their influence. We need to have a heart that's willing to reach them because they need Jesus. They need Him. A declaration. Almost done. And John answered him saying, Master, I saw one casting out devils in thy name and he followed us not and we forbade him because he followed us not, uh, followed not us. But Jesus said, forbid him not. For there is no man which shall do miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is, uh, sorry, not against us is in our part. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. During this conversation, John brings up this incident that occurred sometime earlier. We don't know exactly when, but it happened. Apparently, disciples had encountered a fellow who was casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And this fellow was successful in that because they say he casted out devils in Jesus' name. But because he followed not Jesus and his men, the disciples rebuked him and told him to stop what he was doing. Now, Jesus responds by telling him to let people like that alone. If they're doing good works in the name of Jesus, they're not against him, but they're working for him. And then Jesus goes on to tell his men that even some gave his disciples of a cup of water in the name of the Lord shall surely re- receive a reward for their service. In verse number 41. Now, there's several lessons here for us today uh, if we're willing to receive them. Often we're just like the Lord's disciples. If if a church or ministry, an individual doesn't do everything just like we do, then we're quick to condemn them. We're quick to judge them. We're quick to lash out against them. We're quick to try to silence uh, you know, No, no, they're, they're insignificant. Listen, there's no church, no preacher, no ministry that has the exclusive lock on every part of truth. We have the truth, amen? We have the Word of God. But not every church is the same. You know, there's some people who come to MIBC and say, oh, that's not the church for me. You're like, oh, what? This is a great church. And I agree it's a great church, but it's not for everybody. You know, some people like bigger churches and other people like smaller churches. And that's fine. And we're not going to do everything the same way. But the idea is that a church needs to be glorifying the Lord. Amen? It needs to be glorifying the Lord. Not one, when it comes to church, one size does not fit all. Have you ever tried those? Okay, I have a bigger head. I understand that. So I go to get a ball cap and it says one size fits all. That is a lie. You should see me at some of these places trying to put a hat on that says one size fits all. And I'm not in the Guinness Book of World Records, folks. You know, I know I've got a big head. So listen, you've you're got the wrong advertisement here. It's the same search. And that's a really poor example, but you know what I'm saying. God uses folks who do things differently than we do. And we need to be careful that we don't judge a church or ministry or preacher because they do it different than we do. 
If that's all the time you, if that's, if that's your priority for life, you need to get new priorities, folks. I'm not saying that you don't go against what's wrong, and we'll talk about that in a second, but I'm not looking to find fault. I'm looking to serve Jesus. I, we got enough work here to do. I'm so glad this morning that Pastor Les Chemist is here with us. And that's uh, Ruth's dad. I've known Les since 1994, three, somewhere around there. He ministers for 17 years now in, in Clarenville, Newfoundland. What's it, 10,000 people there, Les? 6,200. I'm way off. We've been there for 17 years. Praise the Lord for faithfulness. Amen. I'm so glad he's been faithful there. Do you think that our service is the same as Pastor Les Chemist in the town of 6200 and Vista Independent Baptist Church? I get it right? The answer is no. You know, in, they have Sunday school. We don't. <gasps> I can't fellowship with Pastor Chemist. No. You know, and you know what? For Sunday school, and I don't know if he's done it recently. It's been a, a few years since I've been in his Sunday school. But he uses the, car, the guitar to sing with the kids. What? No. There's all kinds of differences that we have. And, you know, Brother Chemist and I will sit down today over lunch and we'll talk about all kinds of different things. We'll have a great conversation. We're different, but we serve the same Lord. Amen? That's who we serve is Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying that we don't uh, separate ourselves from a church that doesn't preach the Word of God. We do. But we're going to separate ourselves from those who are tearing down Jesus Christ. We're going to step away from those who do not believe that the Word of God needs to be preached and is man's philosophy. We're going to take our step back from that, yes. But I'm not going to spend my time criticizing the pastor like Brother Kim is in a faraway place. Or I'm not going to have very little to do with his ministry. I'm going to pray for him and hope he reaches more people for Jesus Christ. If we prayed for more people, I think our attitudes would be a whole lot different towards other people. But this passage does force us to remember that even though they might not be like us, like everything we do, we still need to pray for them. They still love Jesus. They're still going, they're still propagating the Word of God. They're on the right path. You know what it reminds me of? We are the branches. He's divine. Does every branch look the same on your tree at home? It does? I'm looking for a response. No. It does not. My tree in the back, I got a big maple. I think it's maple. It's a big tree anyway. He's got all kinds of weird things coming out of it. They're not the same. But it's still a tree, isn't it? Yeah. Hey, Jesus is divine. We are the branches. We need to be doing what the Lord has for us, and we're all uniquely different. Every one of you here is uniquely different. Aren't you glad for that? I'm sure glad for that. And you all have unique gifts. Pastor Chemist is uniquely qualified to reach that area for Jesus Christ. If me and you went there, we'd be like, I can't handle it. It's so different. And folks, it's different. Every community in, in Canada is different. And they all need someone who will stand in the, in the gap and proclaim Jesus Christ and proclaim the truth. And if we know folks like that, men like Brother Chemist, we need to pray for them. Looking to encourage them. We must understand that we will give an account to God. We will give an account for God how we live. 
I will give account for my family, and I will stand before God and give account for this church. And I'm going to be honest with you, that keeps me up at night sometimes. Because I want to do the very best for Jesus Christ. The very best. And I want you to know as a church family that I'm constantly seeking the Lord's face and desiring for, desiring for Him to show me what should we do that will serve you the most effective. That will do what you want us to do. Now, as I prayed and looked for God's favor and His, and His desires for, our, for me, for the pastor here, you know, you know I find out um, we have a whole lot of work ahead of us. Amen. But He'll be with us every step of the way. Who's the greatest in Mississauga National Baptist Church? The greatest person in this church is the one who serves others selflessly with no thought of what they might receive in return. The greatest person in our church, the person who's willing to take the last place so that others can have the first. The greatest person in this church is the person who seeks to serve those who will never be able to return the favor or never be able to pay it back or whatever the case you might say. My question for you this morning is, does that describe you? Are you a servant? Are you serving others? And most importantly, are you serving the Lord? You know, I found out when this relationship's good, these relationships are good. When my relationship with the Lord is what it needs to be, helps me have these relationships good. When this relationships get suffered, these suffer. So get plugged in. Get in touch. Be in prayer. Be in, be in God's Word. Be connected with our Savior.